Welcome to the One God Report podcast. This is Bill Schlegel. This episode is part three in a response to an article by Answers in Genesis, where the author analyzed a few of my blog posts or podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, you might want to listen to part one and part two. In the first part of this three-part series, I responded to the deity of Christ claim that Jesus can't be a mere man. And I suggest that that accusation is really a satanic slur against the man Christ Jesus. It's an accusation that there can't be a mere man at the right hand of God. It's accusatory, the way Satan accuses both Christ and humankind in general. In the second part of my response, I called Jesus had to be a mere man. The Bible tells me so. And I focused in on a good number of of scriptures that say explicitly that Jesus Christ is a man, and who he is and what he did is acceptable to God and sufficient for us. And these scriptures are very clear. There's nothing about him having to have a divine nature and a human nature, that he was a God-man or a God in flesh. No, very clear that the one mediator between God and men is a man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, this current episode, I'll call, Is Jesus in the Gospel of John a God-Man? And look at the last three paragraphs in this Answers in Genesis article, which analyze three of my blog posts or podcasts, one of them that focuses on John 1.14, and the word became flesh. So does that mean that one member of a Godhead became or turned into a human being? And then the second one is on John 17, 5. Is Jesus remembering that he had glory from a past pre-incarnate existence? And the third one is on Thomas's declaration to Jesus where he said, My Lord and my God. This is a response to my article and podcast called My Lord and My God, Trinitarians Get It Wrong. So in this episode, I'll respond to those three claims. There's many more details in my own articles or podcasts. And these kinds of verses are really part of the canon within the canon of the deity of Christ Trinitarian world. If it can be shown that these verses, which are some of the main verses for their Christology and theology, if it can be shown that these verses have been interpreted incorrectly by them, then a person should wonder, well, what other verses have been misinterpreted by the Trinitarian deity of Christ tradition. So let's take a look at the paragraph in the Answers in Genesis article called, Did Jesus Become a Man? It starts out by saying, Because Schlegel operates from governing assumptions that God is one person that keep him from arriving at a right conclusion, the deity of Jesus, he often engages in fallacious reasoning. Well, I can say the same thing about this article and other Trinitarian claims. They're assuming that God is three, and then they use fallacious reasoning. Just open up the scripture and show where Jesus, or the Apostle Paul, taught that God was three persons in one being. Do that. can't be that difficult. We're biblical people, right? I believe the scriptures, sola scriptura, the scriptures alone. Open it up. Show us in the scripture, God is three persons in one being, and you must believe that God is three persons in one being, or you must believe that 
Jesus is God to be saved. Open it up. Show us where it says that. Instead, none of this taking that verse from over here and that verse from over there and combining it and saying, well, God must be three in one. No, that's not how a real biblically-minded person will be convinced. And this section, the author is replying to one or more of my blog posts about John 1 and John 1.14. First of all, let's note that there's no Trinity in the Gospel of John. Trinitarians keep coming very quickly to John 1. What about John 1, John 1.14? But there's no Trinity described in John chapter 1. Nothing. Not a whisper, not any kind of a clue about a tri-personal God in John chapter 1. And I said, if you are a Trinitarian and John 1.1 and John 1.14 are your main proof texts for your understanding of who God is, you better look further because there is no Trinity God anywhere near John 1.1 or John 1.14 or anywhere else in the Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, the word God, theos in Greek, occurs some 1,320 times in the New Testament, and the word never means the Trinity, unquote. That was me again. And then the author says, this is simply a misrepresentation of what Trinitarians believe. Trinitarians do not teach that John 1.1 or John 1.14 by themselves teach the Trinity. Okay, I'll stop there for a second. I would say to Trinitarians, listen to what he just said, okay? Verses in John chapter 1, do not by themselves teach the Trinity. What you're going to have to do, if you want to use John chapter 1 as evidence for a Trinity, you're going to have to go somewhere else and concoct it. You're going to have to assemble the Trinity from somewhere else. Do you really think God needs you to assemble him? The author continues, Moreover, Trinitarians do not argue that the word theos, God, means the Trinity. I would say, good for you. So recognize that what you are saying is something like this, quote, The God of the Bible is a Trinity, but God in the Bible is never a Trinity. He continues, However, the term theos is used of Jesus, John 20, 28, we'll get to that one in a second, and the Holy Spirit he gives another verse in Acts chapter 5. That's the go-to verse, Acts chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, where it says that Ananias lied to God when he lied to the Holy Spirit. Well, of course, God's Spirit is God. If you lie to God's Spirit, you're lying to God. It doesn't mean that he's a, another person within one being or something like that. Actually, Ananias lied to Peter and the apostles. This doesn't mean that Peter and the apostles were literally God or God's Spirit. The author continues, Rather than explicitly teaching the Trinity, John 1.1 and John 1.14 support the doctrine of the Trinity as they teach the eternal Son of God, Jesus, took on flesh, humanity, and dwelt among us. Now, let's just emphasize for a second what the author of the article said. John chapter 1 does not explicitly teach the Trinity. So, why don't Trinitarians go to the chapter that does explicitly teach the Trinity? Because there isn't one. And then, 
Does it? Does John 1 support the doctrine of the Trinity? Mm, maybe, if you come at it with presuppositions, but let me suggest, no, it doesn't support the doctrine of the Trinity. Trinity is not there. And if anything, the Word, the Logos, there's nothing about an eternal Son of God in John chapter 1, but the Word, the Logos, is subordinate to God in John chapter 1. Think about that. Your Word is not its own source. God's Word is not its own source. It depends on God. Things come to be through the Word, yes. In John chapter 1, the new creation, the new beginning, comes to be through God's Word, the man Christ Jesus. But the man Christ Jesus is not the source of that coming to be. The Word is not its own source. God is the Word source, just like you are the source of your Word. In other ways, in John chapter 1, you can see that the Word, Jesus, is subordinate to God. Jesus is seen. God is not seen. John chapter 1 does not support the doctrine of the Trinity. There is no kind of a statement that these are two or three co-eternal, co-equal persons in one being. I find that Trinitarians and deity of Christ believers constantly get confused between a trinity, a supposed three-person God in one being, and a triad, three different persons or different beings. There's nothing in John chapter 1 that says the Logos and God are the same being. So here's a question for a deity of Christ believer. How many are called God in John 1? You should answer two, right? First is God the Father, who's not the Trinity, and secondly, God the Logos. Okay, how many gods is that? You see your dilemma. There's nothing in John chapter 1 about these two being the same being. You have two gods in John chapter 1, according to your interpretation, and one of your gods in John chapter 1 is obviously lesser than the other. You can insist all day long that the two are one being, that there's actually a third one from somewhere else will drag in and make him part of the same being, but that's not what the scripture says. And then, on the statement, the word became flesh, can I just recommend listening to a little series I did called Tips for Talking to Trinitarians about John 1? I'll emphasize here that, once again, the answers are in Genesis. What beings were flesh, or what beings became flesh in the book of Genesis? Take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, or chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. In the Bible, what or who is flesh? Birds, animals, creeping things, mankind, human beings. If anyone is flesh in the Bible, they are not God. So John chapter 1 verse 14 says exactly the opposite of what the deity of Christ claim is. Trinitarian, is your God flesh?
And if one member of a tri-personal Godhead became flesh or became a human, is Jesus a human being? And if Jesus is a human being, how many beings are in the Trinity? Remember, this author, like other Trinitarians, insists that the Trinity is only one being. And then the next question he asks is, did Jesus pre-exist? And this is a reaction to an article and podcast that I did on John 17, 5, which is the statement of Jesus when he's praying to the Father. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory which I had with you before the world was made. And Trinitarians want to see in this a God person remembering something of a previous pre-incarnate existence and the glory this God person used to have, but didn't have at the time of his prayer. And apparently he's asking for it back. And for more detail, you can see my article. The Trinitarian interpretation of this is wrong for several reasons. One, because they don't understand, like Paul says, that pre-known or predetermined things are spoken of as if they already exist. This is a principle seen over and over again in the scriptures. For instance, listen to what God said to Abraham in Genesis 15:18. To your descendants I gave this land. Now, at this time, Abram was probably around 85 years old and did not have one descendant. But God said in the past tense, I gave this land to your descendants before Abraham had a descendant. Or how about in Genesis chapter 17, verse 5? Abraham does not have any descendants according to promise yet either. And God says to him, I made you the father of a multitude of nations. See the past tense verb? I made you the father of a multitude of nations, or I have made you. It's already been done. But Abraham is not the father at that point, of a multitude of nations. Abraham's role, or shall we say requirement, was to believe God, to trust God, even though he had as yet no descendants who could receive the land. What is predetermined and pre-known is spoken of in the past tense, especially when God is involved. And secondly, we can see that the Trinitarian interpretation of John 17, 5 is wrong. In the same chapter, John 17, Jesus says that he had already received the glory when he was standing on earth and that he had been given the glory before the foundation of the world. It's not only that he had glory before the foundation of the world, but he had been given glory before the foundation of the world. So, from the Trinitarian perspective, when was it before the foundation of the world in some pre-incarnate, pre-existent state that Jesus didn't have glory and the Father gave him glory? You see how mixed up, messed up the Trinitarian interpretation gets? We're supposed to have here a co-equal, co-eternal being remembering that God gave him glory 
before he became a human being, the glory was given to Jesus before the foundation of the world. Not just that he had it, it was given to him. Let's see this in John chapter 17, verse 20 to 24. In verse 20, Jesus says, I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So here Jesus is praying for future believers, some of them who may not even have been born at the time that he was praying. But now verse 22, Jesus prays, The glory which you gave me, I have given to them. Now hold on a second. Jesus has not been glorified yet, but he just said that the Father already gave him glory and that he has given glory already to people that may not even be born yet. How can he say, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them? What? Trinitarians think this glory that Jesus is asking for is the glory that he had as God. But Jesus says, the glory you gave me, I have given them. Is he passing along the glory he had as God to human beings? You see the ridiculous dead ends that Trinitarian philosophies lead to? And then look at verse 24. Again, John chapter 17, the same chapter. Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to behold my glory, which you gave me in love for me before the foundation of the world. Hmm. If the Trinitarian is going to be consistent between John 17.5 and John 17.24, that means before the foundation of the world, Jesus already did not have glory, and God gave glory to Jesus. It's not just that he had glory with God before the foundation of the world, but God gave glory to Jesus before the foundation of the world. This is a huge problem for Trinitarianism, where you want to say that the Son is co-equal with the Father. Because here, Jesus is receiving glory before the foundation of the world. God gave it to him then. It's not just that he had it. It's that God gave it to him. So now you better ask yourself, why did the Father have to give glory to Jesus even before Jesus became a human being? Another thing about these passages is, we usually don't understand the word world correctly in the Gospel of John. World in the Gospel of John, and most of the New Testament, does not mean planet Earth. It's a word that describes a segment of human society. But even so, God gave glory to Jesus before the foundation of the world. That does not fit Trinitarianism. And besides that, in this chapter, in verse 3, Jesus says explicitly who the one true God is. He prays to the Father and says, Father, this is eternal life, to know two beings, not one being, two beings, not three, not one being with three persons, but to know two different beings. Father, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus, the Messiah, whom you have sent. Let's believe Jesus.
And then one other note about the deity of Christ interpretation of John chapter 17. They want to see this as the divine Jesus, remembering that he had some kind of glory before the foundation of the world. They miss the meaning of John 17. They miss the meaning of the prayer of Jesus. They think this is just the memory of a divine being, of what he had in pre-incarnate existence. You see what that does? It eliminates the man Christ Jesus. Now the man Christ Jesus is not expressing anything here. So they denigrate the man Christ Jesus was speaking here and the attitude that he had. What John chapter 17 verse 5 and really the whole chapter is about is an expression of the faith, the trust that Jesus had in Yudhe his God. The faith of the man Christ Jesus. He believes what the Father has in store for him on the eve of his crucifixion, even though he is about to be put to death. He's expressing his faith in what God has promised him. So the deity of Christ interpretation of John 17.5 denigrates, eliminates the human person, Jesus Christ, and the faith that he had in his God. This is what all deity of Christ interpretations of the scriptures do. Any passage they interpret as evidence for the deity of Christ ends up being an elimination of the man Christ Jesus. That means the man Christ Jesus didn't say this in John 17:5. The man Christ Jesus didn't have faith. And the last question or section that the answers in Genesis article presents is did Thomas call Jesus God in John 20:28. 20, Again, I'll link my podcast and my article about this. Thomas has not seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And when he sees the man who had been dead resurrected, Thomas exclaimed to Jesus, My Lord and my God. And in my article called My Lord and My God, Trinitarians Get It Wrong, I believe that Thomas is recognizing that his Lord is Jesus, the Messiah, who suffered and died but was raised from the dead by God. And Thomas's God is the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And I suggest that the Trinitarian deity of Christ interpretation of John 20, 28 fails to see or acknowledge the Father who raised to life the dead Jesus. And then the article comments and says, it's a strange thing to say that Trinitarians fail to acknowledge the Father raised Jesus from the dead when this is not even part of the surrounding context in John 20:28, unquote. That's the problem. Bingo. If Simon doesn't think that God the Father raising Jesus from the dead is part of the context of this gospel, of this chapter, that's the problem. And he goes on to say Trinitarians believe the Father raised Jesus from the dead. He gives one verse where they claim that Jesus, they think that Jesus raised himself from the dead. Uh, you can see my article on that one too, John chapter 2, 19 to 22. 
the claim that Jesus raised himself from the dead, that takes, actually misunderstands, one verse that completely contradicts about 60 other clear statements in the New Testament that someone other than Jesus, namely God the Father, raised Jesus from the dead. And the claim that Jesus raised himself from the dead, that changes the definition of what it means to be dead. If you can raise yourself from the dead. So I'll say again, I believe that Trinitarians are not paying attention to this gospel and especially to the words of Jesus in this gospel. Look at the last words that Thomas heard from Jesus the last time that Thomas was with him, the night Jesus was arrested. And Jesus says to Thomas, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Henceforth, you know him and have seen him. That's the Father. This is John chapter 14, verses 5 and following. And then Philip, Thomas is still there, says, Show us the Father, Lord. Okay, he calls Jesus Lord. Show us the Father. And Jesus says, and Thomas is listening, he says, Have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The Father who dwells in me does his works. The resurrection of the man, Jesus Christ, is the deed of the Father. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Again, Trinitarians are not listening to Jesus. The God who is in Jesus is the Father. The God that is recognized in the man that was put to death and raised from the dead is the Father. There is no God the Son in the Gospel of John. There's only one God in the Gospel of John, the Father. And these titles... Lord for Jesus, and God for the Father. These titles are seen over and over again in the New Testament. The Father is referred to as God, and Jesus is referred to as Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God, that's the Father, that God is, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It does not say if you confess with your lips that Jesus is God and believe that he raised himself from the dead, you will be saved. That is what the deity of Christ people are saying, and that is a false Jesus. The article wraps up by saying that Schlegel's objections to the deity of Jesus are nothing new and are based on a misunderstanding of the nature of God, that God is one person, and taking verses out of context. Uh, No, I think you're taking verses out of context, and you have a misunderstanding of the nature of God. Again, this is the Trinitarian world. It's not just this one author. 
But my authority is the Bible. And more and more people that have the same understanding of who God and Messiah are, we're biblicists. We see what's in the scripture. We don't ignore verses like the ones I read in the previous podcast about the man, Christ Jesus, and add to them and say, well, he's man, but he's got to be more than that. We believe the scriptures that declare that a man has been raised from the dead and exalted to God's right hand. The one at God's right hand is not God or a non-binary-natured God-man. On the other hand, your authority is tradition. It's really Catholic tradition. It's not the biblical tradition. Otherwise, open up the text, show us in the Bible where Jesus or any of the apostles or Moses or the prophet Isaiah told us that God is three persons in one being. Be careful that you don't make void the word of God for the sake of your traditions. In the second to the last paragraph of the article, the author gives verses from the book of Acts and Paul and from the book of Revelation that he interprets as saying that clearly demonstrating that worship belongs only to God. This idea that worship belongs only to God depends entirely on what you mean by worship. There are many people in the Old Testament and the New Testament that are worshipped. They are bowed down to and they are recognized for the authority and honor which they deserve. As David, the king, was worshipped, even more so, we bow down and we honor, we worship Jesus Christ for who he is. Not because he's God, we don't give him the worship as of God, but because he is the one appointed by God, anointed by God, the one to be at God's right hand. He's our Lord. He's the King. But there's only one who is worshipped as God. So we acknowledge Jesus for what he did and for who he is, and we acknowledge God for who he is. And you're right. God is not going to share his glory as God with another. God is not sharing his glory with this concoction called the Trinity, which has been assembled and put together by man through the abuse of his word. God doesn't share his glory with that so-called triune being. He does give glory to mankind. Yes, the answers are in Genesis. In Genesis 1, 26-27, man was made in the image of God to rule over God's creation. And as Psalm 8 says, What is man that you crown him with glory and honor, and you've given him to rule over the works of your hands. This is the glory that God has given to man. Then the last sentence in the Answers in Genesis article says, The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthians about accepting a Jesus that is different from the Jesus proclaimed by the Apostles. And to that last sentence, I say amen. And the so-called God-man Jesus is a different Jesus than was proclaimed by the apostles. The humble will hear and rejoice.